It's time for your NBA Daily Assist. Now, here's Chris Mannix on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Want to remind you, customers can get the fantastic iPhone X for 50% off with Flex Lease. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Of course, he uh, makes the magic happen for Sports Illustrated. He's our good friend Chris Mannix with us on the big show. Hi, Chris. How are you? What's going on, guys? So, hey, we're going to be heavy basketball, but how about a boxing question right off the bat? I'm sure you saw that Andy Ruiz uh, thing coming from a mile away, right? (laughs) No, and I had... uh you know, as as part of the broadcast team with the zone, I had my one of my first major foot in mouth moments when you know Joshua put Ruiz down, and and this clip that you've seen now that third round, one of the best rounds of 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 not just the year but the last few years, when Joshua put Ruiz down, I said on the air, you know, Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this, and ten seconds later, Joshua goes down. So. Not my not my finest moment as as a boxing broadcaster, but look, it's it's up there with Tyson versus Douglas, with Lennox Lewis, Asim Rachman, with you know Vladimir Klitschko, Corey Sanders, all all the top shelf upsets we've seen in the last few decades. It's kind of one of those those you you one of those fights you'll remember for a very long time. I guess this is a sort of a simple question, a difficult answer, but how does this happen, Chris? I mean, when you look at him and you look at the two, you just think it can't happen. Yeah, but it's it's often said boxing is not a bodybuilding competition. <laughs> and, you know, Andy Ruiz, uh, you know, there were a number of, of scorching hot, terrible takes on Andy Ruiz in the aftermath. And, and certainly he took a lot of abuse uh, on social media before the fight because we live in – uh, a social media age where you know all the the face to faces and the the visuals of these two guys. You got you know Joshua's kind of cut out of granite, and Andy Ruiz is this sort of dad bod type of, of fighter. Uh, but Andy Ruiz is not a joke. I mean, he he was he fought under top ranks banner for a number of years. They they groomed him from a prospect. He's got a deep amateur background, and he only had one loss in his career, and that was to Joseph Parker, who was the world champion at the time. So. And that fight was extremely close. That, that doesn't mean that we should have been putting money on Ruiz to win or expect him to win. I just don't think we should be surprised when he puts forth uh, a good performance. What, what we're shocked by, what I was shocked by, was that when he took that big left hand and went down, that's where Joshua finishes, guys. That's what I was saying when I said Joshua was a great finisher. He's got 21 knockouts in his 22 wins, and he's done it largely through great finishing. And... And Andy Ruiz got up off the canvas and not only recovered, but fought back. And that's not something I or anybody saw coming. His reaction afterward, though, man, how, if you're a sports fan, how can you not enjoy a moment like that? You know? Yeah, I mean, look, he's, uh, he took the fight on short notice. He had another fight six weeks ago. Uh, and frankly, I thought that helped him. You know, if you ask the people at the top rank who dropped him about a year ago, you know, the biggest reason that you couldn't bet on Andy Ruiz was because he, his inactivity you know, kept him out of the gym and he, he just didn't stay focused enough to, be, uh, to, to maximize his talent. But because he was in a fight six weeks ago, he was able to you know, stay in, in relatively good shape and, uh, and, and stay kind of sharply conditioned. I mean, there's no question over seven rounds, Andy Ruiz was the better conditioned fighter, and that's remarkable given what they look like in the ring. And did I see you tweeting about it today, Chris, that they've got a rematch already pretty much ready to go? 
Yeah, when, when you have when when you give a guy uh, a title shot the way Joshua gave Ruiz a title shot, you protect yourself in the case of situations like this. So they had Joshua had a, a rematch clause in the contract. He has total control over the entire operation. Um, it'll take place either November or December someplace in the United Kingdom. So they'll go back to Joshua's home turf and uh, have a rematch there. So, Chris, uh, this NBA Finals now, is there anybody left for the uh, Warriors to put on the floor? I mean, if they, they've lost three or potentially have lost three very important aspects to this team, what, what do you think the effect is going to be moving forward? Well, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Steph Curry to have the offensive game or games of his life. Um, you know, you saw what, what Toronto was willing to do with that box-and-one defense, which I hadn't seen them do at all. Um, you know, this season, I've read some stuff where they, they experimented with it during the regular season, but I hadn't seen it at all. And, you know, and it was effective because, you know, the Golden, without, you know, Thompson and Durant, Golden State doesn't have a lot of shooters out there on the floor. And I look, I, I saw some video footage. I'm not in Oakland for the next two games, but I saw some video footage of, of Thompson moving around out there on the floor. And I, I'm just skeptical he's going to be able to, to, to give it any serious go. I mean, it's not offensively that he, it could be problematic for him. It's defensively. Because if you're Nick Nurse, wherever you see Clay Thompson that first quarter, you've got to go at him. And you've got to make him prove that he can stay with anyone uh, moving laterally. Clay Thompson, at his best, is one of the better defenders in the league. But you've got to make him, make him prove that he's over the hamstring injury. And hamstring injuries that, that force you out of games, you know, oftentimes those are you know, a week to ten day type of things at least. So... Uh, I think Clay's going to do everything he can, and the guy's been an Iron Man when it comes to playoff games. But you know, just watching him today in some of the footage I saw, I, I just I have a hard time believing he can be truly effective. Um, you know, coming off that injury. Chris Mannix with us, ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Chris, does the outcome of this series, or I guess, will the outcome of this series have any effect on Kawhi's off-season decision? I, I think it, it'll have an impact. I, I just don't know how big an impact. I think everything that's happened this postseason has had an impact. I was in Chicago talking to some of the Raptors officials during the Combine, and one thing that they were telling me was that, you know, they, they hope that some of the moments that Kawhi's experienced as a Raptor resonate with him come July. And You know, there's no greater moment than what happened in Game 7 of the second-round series against Philadelphia, uh, winning uh, four straight, the last of which on your home floor in the conference finals is a great moment. He's really experienced the best a Toronto crowd in these situations has to offer, and if they can win a championship and, you know, Kawhi's comfortable with this, uh, with this organization and with the, the way it is moving forward, I, I don't see any reason to believe why he wouldn't go back there. I mean, I, I, Kawhi is certainly a tough guy to crack, and there's certainly a lot to him that we don't know. But, you know, I, I do think the, the, the way this season has gone, not just this series, but the way the entire postseason has gone, is going to be a factor in Kawhi's decision. I saw that the uh, finals ratings are down, Chris. To what do you attribute that? Well, I mean, for starters, Canada. I mean, you know, the U.S. doesn't, you know, TNT doesn't gain anything off the Canadian, uh, the Canadian number. That's that's the first and foremost part of it. I mean, they, uh, or I should say, ESPN and ABC they don't gain anything off it, and that's always been a problem for broadcasters when Toronto has been, you know, the few times Toronto has been good. And look, LeBron being out of it is is part of it, and. Uh, you know, the perceived lack of, of, of appeal of the Raptors uh, is part of it, but that's just the way it goes. I think the NBA in general, even though their broadcast partners might not be thrilled, the NBA has got to love that there's a new team in the, in the finals. 
And in the coming years, there could be several new teams in the finals if the Warriors wind up breaking up uh, this offseason. So I, I think this is all kind of a good trend for the NBA to be going towards. So that's something I hadn't really thought of when I was considering this. You're right. They don't get credit for the Canadian viewers. No, that's on TSN. I mean, I just got a release from the NBA saying it's like the most watched game in Canada ever or something like that. I'm, I'm just sort of guessing what they skimmed through it. Uh, and that's great, but it doesn't help the, the U.S. broadcaster in terms of their ratings. Chris, want to get your thoughts on an interview Ricky Rubio did overseas where he uh, said the Jazz have informed him that uh, he is not their number one priority. Do you have thoughts on uh, what we learned there? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my first thing is I'd, I'd like to hear it from Ricky Rubio in English. Sometimes these things can get lost in translation, you know, what he said and, and what he meant by all that. But it's not incredibly surprising. Uh, I think the Jazz, like, you know, like the Timberwolves before them, were hoping to, to take Ricky Rubio and, and really squeeze more of a shooter out of him. And that just hasn't happened. And in this league, it's it's very difficult to to play that position and be a non-shooter. I mean, I go back to the series we saw the Bucks play against the Raptors. Down the stretch, fourth quarter, Eric Bledsoe, who is the better player than George Hill, was on the bench, largely because George Hill could make jump shots. And, you know, Ricky Rubio is an unbelievable playmaker in the open floor, and he's a, I think he's a very good defender, but he's not a shooter. And, and if you're Utah and you're trying to build a team around Donovan Mitchell and the young pieces you've got there – you got to have shooters at that position, so it's not surprising. I don't know if the, I really don't know if the door is totally closed. I haven't checked in with the Jazz on on any of that, but um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they decide to go in a different direction. What does that What does that say for point guards moving forward around the league? Do you think this is unique to to the Jazz, or do you think this is in fact the trend around the league that if you're a guard, whether you're a point or whether you're an off guard, you better be able to shoot, or else you're going to be severely limited. Yeah, I think that's always been the case, though. I mean, you know, there's only been a handful of, of high-level championship guards who, who haven't been able to shoot. I mean, Rajon Rondo comes to mind um, off the top of my head with what he was when Boston won back in 08. But, you know, the, most teams that, that you know play point guards have shooters. I mean, you look at the championship teams in the last few years, obviously Golden State one of the greatest shooters ever. But across the way in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving – was a great shooter. George Hill was part of that Cavaliers team that went to the finals uh, last year. Uh, you, you just got to have guys that can make shots. It's as simple as that. I mean, you, defenses have become really sophisticated in, in today's NBA, and if they think they can leave you and, and cheat and do some some things with your man, they're going to do it. So, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed that Ricky Rubio hasn't developed a shot because, I mean, w- what do you do with your life? I mean, you're, you're a basketball player. You know, figure out a way to make jump shots. I, I firmly believe that you know, shooting jump shots is something you can learn. I've seen too many guys do it. I mean, Michael Redd, who is one of the best shooters of this generation, he came into the NBA out of Ohio State, and he was a non-shooter. It's because George Carl said, look, you got to learn to shoot or else you can't play in the NBA, and he did. Jason Kidd, in the twilight of his career, you know, was a non-shooter for most of it. Twilight of his career, he learned how to be a shooter. I mean, that's, that's just something that, that guys have to work at and get better at, and you know, it's disappointing that Ricky Rubio has not gotten to that point. I wonder what that means for Ben Simmons, Chris. I, he better. I mean, look, he better get on it. Like it's it's it puts a ceiling on on the kind of player that that you can be. Now, now Ben Simmons is is a strange case because there's there's an argument that I've heard that you know Ben Simmons right now is currently shooting with his wrong hand. So like that's something I think you need to kind of dig into and, and figure out. And I've seen some quotes from his high school coach that said you know something happened to Ben Simmons in in the year he had in college and and early in the pros that that he just lost confidence in his ability to shoot, but. 
Um, you know, if you want to be a champion, uh, be a world class player on a championship team, you can't have that big a flaw in your game. You've got to be at least a threat from the outside. Chris, thank you so much as always. Uh, enjoy the finals. Thanks, Chris. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. And, of course, he does a great job covering the NBA, but he does a great job covering boxing as well. So timely to ask uh, Chris about uh, Gordon's new favorite athlete. I wonder, uh, I wonder if he had a speed bag when he was a kid. I don't know. You could Jake, have asked him. You've been, saying this, you've been saying this from the beginning with Ben Simmons, and, and it seems like it's more and more true all the time. I think he was very much exposed in the playoffs this year. I mean, I think that the fact that he wasn't even touching the ball in crunch time in the playoffs and that it was all Jimmy Butler uh, doing all the playmaking for that team. I mean, where's his value if that's if that's what you have to do down the stretch in playoff series where teams can game plan to take other players away, what are you supposed to do? And, and by the way, the Jazz have a similar problem with Ricky Rubio. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what they're addressing. But Ben Simmons supposedly is is a cornerstone of what they're trying to do as a franchise. And, and my whole point always has been if you can't if you take out one significant part of basketball that you absolutely can't do, and that's shoot. I mean, absolutely can't do it. I mean, how are you supposed to be, you know, the the best point guard in the league if you can't shoot? How is that even going to be possible? And not just of the year. and not just struggle, but can't do it. Funny, the Sixers drafted another point guard that can't really couldn't really shoot all that well either. with Fultz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is pretty clear moving forward, and it always will be as long as people stress that three is more than two. And, uh, you know, pick and roll being such a big part of the game, yeah. which is it's always been a big part of the game, but increasingly more so. Because what do you how do you create mismatches? What do I, if teams can just go under picks all the time, then you might as well figure out a different th- offense. Th- to think run. about what, what John Stockton did with Carl Malone and the pick and roll. And it's not like uh, John shot all that much, but everybody knew he could. You couldn't go under picks against him. He'd light you up. And the great part about John Stockton is if you, you know, fought over screens and you stuck with him, he'll also light you up because he'd figure <laughs> out the right pass to make and then he'd make it. But That's so valuable, just being able to shoot, even if you don't shoot that much. Yep, 100%. And if Ben Simmons can't shoot, and, and how about what Chris said right there, that uh, there are people out there that think he's shooting with the wrong hand? Oh, boy. But, but in all honesty, for that guy, learning how to shoot all over again is probably exactly what he needs to do. I suppose, but it's a little late for that. But uh, like Chris talked about, there are other players who uh, reinvented themselves as shooters and were able to uh, extend their careers in that regard. I, I <laughs> this is this is the trend of the league, and I, I don't know. People will leave you alone. The thing about uh, Ricky Rubio was, yeah, he shot thirty-one percent from three, but how many? How often was he wide open? A lot. And if you left. Most point guards that open from distance, they're going to shoot a whole lot better than that. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.